This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of June 23rd, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 136 of Defender Radio. Intelligence means different things to different people. To an anthrozoologist or a biologist, it can be the measurement of intellect or sentience in a living being. To someone in law enforcement, it's the product of analyzed data. And both versions are what we're discussing on this week's episode. Andrea Krosta, a security expert who has worked with the likes of Homeland Security, has taken his experience and changed his focus to the illegal wildlife trade. Head of the Elephant Action League, Krosta recently opened the floodgates on wild leaks, a crime-fighting tool to protect the people and animals involved in the illegal trade worldwide. Our good friend and internationally renowned animal expert, Dr. Mark Beckoff, says that all animals live emotional lives, even crayfish. A recent study shows that crayfish, a low-order invertebrate, has the same chemical reaction to stimuli and serotonin as humans. The implications of this are profound, and Mark will share his thoughts. Before we get started, I want to let you know a bit about something you may hear this week. In Hamilton, where I record Defender Radio, we've experienced a spate of thunderstorms in the last week. As such, my rescued hound mix from the Oakville and Milton Humane Society, JJ, decided she needed to keep extra close to me. Her anxiety levels were higher than normal, and her chewing helps alleviate that. I couldn't say no to her. Please excuse the chewing and know that while these interviews were recorded, a scared pup was made a little more at ease. Let's get into it with Andrea Krosta. Though his education stemmed from conservation, Krosta found himself working in the world of international security, from web applications to organized crime and terrorism to personnel protection. The security expert, however, has returned to his roots and launched WildLeaks, a website that will help law enforcement combat the illegal wildlife trade, a multi-billion dollar industry. He recently joined Defender Radio to explain how he came to create WildLeaks and what he hopes it will accomplish. Well, to get started, I thought something interesting I read in the Guardian article uh, through which I, I found out about Wild Leaks was that you're referenced as a former security expert. So can you tell me a bit about your background? Yes. Well, basically, I, my, my very, very first beginning was, was with, you know, in conservation. I, I, had the master, I, got my, I earned my first master's degree in, um, in natural sciences in Italy. And even before doing that, I was already working for an Italian foundation, basically specialized on, on, on supporting uh, researchers all over the places, for in, in, you know, helping them in, uh, with conservation projects. But then... Uh, uh, you know, sometimes life took, to, takes you to different places unexpectedly. So I, I without uh, leaving that passion, passion, I went into business, I went into technology uh, and, and, and also entrepreneurship because I, among many other things in Italy back in 98, I established the very first uh, e-commerce company back then. And then from technology, I went to, into technology applied to security and for a series of reasons, uh, traveling between Europe, Middle East, and Eastern Africa, uh, in 
I, I found myself uh, um, working a lot with security companies, um, law enforcement agencies, uh, um, also politicians, large companies as clients. Uh, in the meantime, I earned my second master's degree, which is business uh, and innovation. And for uh, uh, more than 15 years, I've been actually working as, a, as an international consultant to those entities on different kind of uh, uh, security-related issues, um, technology, like uh, for example, special solution for homeland security uh, technology that I was scouting uh, around places, but also the organization of uh, and the project manager for a very complex uh, security service, like for example, anti-piracy arm escort service off the coast of Somalia to protect uh, uh, ships or uh, personal protection of executive traveling in uh, risky countries. Uh, a bit of geopolitics, uh, you know, investigation, background check, this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then, uh, about two years ago, I basically ha- I had enough of all that work, all that work. And I decided to go back to my original passion, which was conservation and wildlife protection. And, uh, so I, I gradually phase out my past work. Uh, I drop everything. And what I'm trying now is to merge uh, conservation with uh, all the experience and the networks and the skills and, and the, that I developed uh, and I accumulated over the years. So that's why uh, Elephant Action League in this sense is a bit different from other uh, similar organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there is very clearly a need for more security and policing of the illegal wildlife trade. Um, in Canada, we mostly are on the import end of that. Uh, there, there is poaching, but it is a much smaller scale than it is in other parts of the world. Yes. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for Wild Leaks? Because it, it is based very much, it appears, on Wikilinks, which is either famous or infamous, depending on your opinion. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, the original idea was, was nothing to do with with WikiLeaks, uh, we actually, I actually working also in the past, I understood that there, in, in the field, I mean, I understood that there, there's a lot of people that knows a lot of stuff, it, also important, crucial information. They just don't want to share it. They don't know how to share it, to whom to share it. In some countries, it's basically impossible to share this information because you risk your life if you, if you share it with the wrong person. So, so uh, as a, as a, as a, in, to begin with, uh, I was um, as Elephant Action League. I was looking to to you know to create new innovative uh, uh, projects, and that is okay. Let's start building up building up something that basically fills the gap fills the gap between people with information and people that can do something with that information on wildlife crime. Uh, and then, of course, I found myself building uh, something similar to WikiLeaks. That's why we also play a little bit with the, with the name. Uh, we are very different from WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks in many respects, but the two, most, the two most important differences are that first, we are not after state secrets, we are, but we are after uh, corrupt government officials and corrupt, I don't know, security officers or politicians behind wildlife crime, but which is very different. And the second difference is that we don't automatically leak 
the, the information we get on our website or to, or to the media. We assess them with the, and the assessment phase uh, is, is a very complex, can be very long. Whenever we can, we investigate the leaks ourselves in collaboration with our partners. Uh, if it makes sense, we share it with the law enforcement. Sometimes we work together with the media. Right now we are working on a specific leak with the large media network. So we are very different. We are not a passive uh, platform that just received information and, and splashed on the, on the, on the homepage, but we are an active player that try also to make a, 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 a concrete contribute to, to, to the overall fight. Well, and something I find fascinating, and this is something I discovered in my time as a crime reporter, um, is the links that some of these crimes have to organized crime and at times international terrorism. Yeah. Um, is that something that's relatively recent when it comes to the illegal wildlife trade or is that new? Well, it depends which product, of course. Um, in general, criminal organizations and uh, if not enough terrorism, ter- even terrorist organization are interested in, in cash, in money. They need money. Uh, so they are not, they don't have a specific interest for poaching or wildlife or that. They're interested in money. So what happened, for example, with the ivory and rhino is that in the past three, five years, the, the, the market price, black or, or, or legal in China, of those two uh, products really skyrocketed. So it, all of a, I mean, not all of a sudden, but in three, five years, it became a very, very profitable uh, Product with very low risk compared to other products and a huge, uh, a huge potential for for money. So what those organizations did were simply shift or or enter also in that uh, line of business. We did the Elephant Action League. Uh, we did two years ago, three years ago, uh, a, bra- a groundbreaking investigation on the links between Ivory and the, and the Somali terrorist group Al Shabab. And what we found out that. They were, they were simply, Somalia have been uh, poaching elephants since ever, but since the price of ivory is so high, then the most important terrorist group in the area said, hey, that's a great source of profits. Let's get into that. And they, and they did it. And, they, and, and unfortunately, they're very organized. So the damage was uh, substantial. So it's, it's, you cannot say it's a new phenomenon. Uh, it's, it's, it's recent, but it's market driven, not because they all of a sudden they're interested in that. I guess that probably plays into the whole concept of people fearing uh, yes. reporting these crimes. And that's something I, I'm aware of. Um, uh, even in Canada and the United States, as you get, whenever you have organized crime, there frequently is um, uh, some kind of bribery or blackmail of officials. And it's not always high officials, but right. the ones who are on the ground. Is that, is that very common with the wildlife crimes? It's extremely common. It's extremely common, uh, and it depends, of course, where. But uh, I can tell you, uh, you know, for experience in Africa, for example, it's it's the norm, and uh, not only at low level, but also at high level. Depends what you need and what you want as a favor. But at low levels, uh, they are these people are they can easily bribe uh, uh, everybody. I mean. Uh, Rangers, uh, custom officials, uh, ch- chief of police, local chief of police. It's because they have a lot of money and, uh, and the salaries are very low. And there is also this, uh, this uh, culture that, that corruption is not that, you know, 
that that's the, 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 this culture that corruption is you know is the way it is over there. So it's very easy to bribe. And of course, when the, the more you are into that, of course, if you have to smuggle a container with uh, six tons of ivory from the port of Mombasa, then you you need a different. Uh, bribing. You probably need to bribe uh, some chief at the port. Uh, you probably sometimes have to have the collaboration of a politician or somebody that clear the ways. And of course, uh, as you can imagine, it's not just about bribing somebody. This, in those countries, these this, uh, traffics are, are a great source of money, represent a great source of money. So they attract the interest of the politicians. So it's not just me going to uh, a politician or a corrupt officer and try to bribe them. They, they will offer to, to participate, of course. They, will, they want part of the money. I think something that people uh, listening to this show may find of interest is the prevalence of the importation of illegal wildlife goods or lives. Uh, there was actually just a notice I got from the New York Times about uh, a bunch of ivory being found I- at Kennedy Airport in the United States. Um, should people be shocked to learn that some of these products are finding their way into North America? Well, not at all. North America is, to begin with, a big, strong market is actually one of the largest and most important markets in the world. So it's a market for legal stuff, but also it's a market for illegal stuff because it, it simply means that they, they, there is a potential market of buyers that have means, that have money, and they can spend either illegal or illegal. Uh, the United States, North America in general, is a, is, it's, it's a hub actually for, for collectors, for smugglers, for traffickers, for product uh, uh, like ivory, rhino horn, uh, uh, skins of, uh, of, of, of snakes, uh, and all kinds of animals, but also live animals from South America, from Africa. So it's, it's not shocking at all. Actually, it's, uh, um, it's shocking that it's shocking. It not be shocking at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that. That's um, uh, every year in the community I used to work for. There would be uh, break and enters, uh, and it would be a small small gang out of one of the neighboring towns would come in, and it was a relatively affluent area. So people would come in, open the back door, grab stuff off the counter, and walk away. And every summer this would happen. And every summer I would have to write in the newspaper, lock your doors. Lock your doors, exactly. Like that's all you need to do and this crime will stop. And every year for over 10 years I had to do that. And that, that shocked me. Like it, yeah. it just got to the point where I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. Let him get robbed. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. No, I mean, it's, it, it, the, Africa, it's, it's the ground zero of wildlife crime is, is, is the source country, but the destination countries, transit and destination countries are other countries. And our rich countries. So on the one hand, you have the States, of course, North America, but you also have Europe quite a bit for certain wildlife products. And of course, you have Asia that is, uh, is stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. Now, is, are you aware of much coming out of Canada or North America as a whole? I, I see, I saw reference to uh, illegal fishing in Alaska. Um, yes, we we received this uh, a couple of leaks about illegal fishing in Alaska uh, regarding s- salmon. Uh, it was a very complex leak, uh, and it's a very also complex story. Um, but for example, you have uh, uh, in North America you you have a poaching of bears uh, for the Asian and Chinese uh, traditional medicine. In the same way they hunt bears in the, in Asia and to extract bile, they do it also 
in uh, in North America for the Asian community living in North America, but 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 also for export. Uh, if, Probably uh, I actually don't know, so it's um, that's. But most of it, it's 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 uh, it's um, it's a destination country, the United States and Canada. Okay, and I guess the final question I'll ask you, um, and this is one I often find myself asking people, is why should people care? And and I'm speaking in the the greater sense. So those of us in North America were a destination country, but also the people who are on the ground in the small African countries where some of this. Uh, the immense poaching is occurring. Why should they care and why should they contact wild leaks to try and change it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's very different, of course. People in, in, in North America, people on the ground in Africa where they can barely get to the end of the month, of course, and they are actually exploited. But the reason number one, everybody should be worried about wildlife crime, especially certain crimes like uh, elephant poaching, ivory rhino, is that behind the uh, what everybody sees, there is a huge human toll, huge human toll. And, and by human toll, I, don't, I just don't mean uh, uh, hundreds of rangers losing their lives. Of course, it's very important. Tens of thousands of poachers are killed every year. Uh, and nobody knows about it. And they both, rangers and poachers, leave behind a family of 10. So there are thousands and thousands of widows and orphans. And, and the cause is wildlife crime. You have weapons bought to kill an elephant and then used to rob a bank. You have money laundering. You have entire poor uh, local communities getting exploited by traffickers. Uh, young gen- the young generation lure into crime. So you have, of course, you have money to militias and to terrorist groups like Al-Shabaab. So if you are not, uh, uh, if you don't care about wildlife, if you don't care about animals, if this is not your passion, you should at least care about the people involved in those traffics. Excellent. Uh, And I think that's something people often forget is that when there is exploitation like this, it may give them monetary gain for a year or two. But when an organized crime uh, syndicate is done, they clean house. And I think people forget that. Absolutely. And, and, and they are, they are ruthless people. And uh, I always, you know, when we talk about China and we try to find a way to, you know, to, to have this, uh, they're all talking about demand reduction. I don't like personally demand reduction, the term, because you can have demand reduction in, in Switzerland, not in, a, not in a country when 1, 1.3 billion people. It's ridiculous. They have to close the market at all. But when you talk about, uh, you know, what we can do. So what we can do with people also in the States is to be, start building links between an object, maybe an ivory object bought in a shop and somebody, not an elephant, not a rhino or not a lion, somebody, a person on the ground in blood in Africa. That's the link we should build in, in people's mind. To learn more about Andrea or Wild Leaks, visit wildleaks.org. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control will humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. 
Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg-hold, conibear, and other body-gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com. Dot com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. It's not unusual to hear Dr. Mark Beckoff discuss the emotional lives of animals. He's written numerous books on the subject and is well known for his advocacy work. But it may strike as a little odd to hear him say the emotional lives of crayfish. A recent study explored the reaction of crayfish to stimuli as well as introduction of serotonin, and they mimicked the chemical reactions that humans experience in the same conditions. What this study means and its implications were the topic of a recent conversation with Mark. Uh, I wanted to talk with you about the emotional lives of crayfish. Um, you've written a blog about this study, and I also came across the study that is showing that crayfish are capable of feeling stress and have the same response as when humans are given uh, serotonin injections. So what what can we learn? I mean, what, what is the, the basic sort of takeaway from this study? Right. I think the takeaway from the study, and I relate it to <coughs> the work that, um, well, basically the white dogs hunt and bees get depressed, is that we share, you know, we share our emotional lives with you know, unlikely bedfellows, if you will. And and I think that the really major message is that, you know, that there really is a very compelling database developing for evolutionary continuity. That um, it's good biology. I was doing an interview yesterday, actually, and I just, you know, I always say it's good biology. I mean, we we have a lot of things in common with other mammals, obviously, but now we're seeing that, you know, as Darwin stressed decades ago, you know, we're seeing a lot of continuity across species where we where we might not expect to see it. And and the other thing, of course, is sort of, you know, I always talk about getting pain off the menu, basically just animals who we think, who, you know, who we think don't feel pain or don't have emotions, you know, sense that's often translated into they don't care what happens to themselves. We're seeing that that's really a false, um, a false take. And on the one hand, on the other hand, I'm not saying that 
crayfish and a lot of these other animals have the same um, can you know the same sort of sense of self and same reflection we do, but I don't but I don't think that matters. You know, I think I think what really matters is that these animals really are sentient beings and and need to be um, this fact needs to be you know taken into account when we decide how we're going to treat them. Now, what does this mean? In I mean, we've talked about emotions. Uh, you and I have talked about that in the past. You've written dozens of books on the subject. What does this mean in terms of intelligence, though? Uh, if they are capable of feeling pain, if they have the same response as we do to stimuli and to uh, some biochemical drugs, what does that mean for their capability of intelligence and self-awareness? Right. Well, I always say that, you know, I don't like correlating what we would call intelligence and the feeling of pain. I think that it gets us into trouble really fast. So I think that, you know, that relationship, I think, is kind of a, a spurious one. Um, it just, but, but, it, but it also stresses the point that we need to take into account who these animals are as members of, you know, their own species. So I always say that these cross-species, um, these, these cross-species comparisons of intelligence are really misleading because, I, I, you know, my, my line is that, you know, cats do what they need to do to be card-carrying cats and dogs need do what they need to do to be card-carrying dogs. So dogs can do things that cats can't do and vice versa, and mice can do things that we can't do. And so... You know, I mean, that's really my general take that we need to be very uh, careful about making relationships between the feeling of pain and intelligence and also that, you know, one species is more intelligent than another. I'll also say that, you know, you know, if people want to say it, you know, I might say, well, you know, Fido is, Fido is more intelligent than, you know, Pluto, the dog, only because we can make those comparisons in terms of asking them to do certain things. You know, one well, Fido might do something faster and with uh, fewer mistakes. One of your big, um, your, your big current projects is the discussion of compassionate conservation. Um, so could you explain a bit about what compassionate conservation is and how information like this plays into the necessity for it in our modern world? Yeah. Um, basically compassionate conservation, um, stresses that individuals matter. Um, you know, that, um, we need to really prioritize the well-being and, or the health and well-being of individual animals and that you know um so there are welfare wealth so it brings welfare issues into conservation decisions and prioritizes individuals which means that we can't you know how can you say this you know we shouldn't be maybe trading off the life of one animal for the life of another animal of the same or other species and and what I always say too is it's a starting point that you know, I'm I'm not naive. A lot of people think I'm very naive and that I, I don't realize how complex the world is and I always tell them, Well, 
<laughs> it's the complexity of the world that kind of keeps me busy 24 <laughs> seven. Um, but, but, that, but that's what it really is. And it's a starting point. So, you know, with the crayfish or with uh, this recent study that shows that rats feel regret, I mean, what we basically have then is a situation where we just go, well, an individual, the life of an individual rat really matters and that we can't just be trading it off, you know, um, for the life of other rats. And that immediately, of course, gets into conservation decisions where we'll say, well, you know, the question would be, is it okay to let a one wolf or rat or other animal die for the good of a hundred of, you know, a hundred of the members of the same species? And I think you got to look at this case by case. My starting point, honestly, is no, it's not okay, but I'm going to definitely be, you know, big enough to say that some people would, and some people in the, uh, the compassionate conservation movement really disagree with me. And that's fine as long as we can have, you know, if, good discussions. I mean, if you disagree with me, I'm more than happy to talk with you, but no name calling. You, you know what I mean? No, no, I'm right and you're wrong and, you know, you're, you're a fill in the blank. Um, you know, but it gets the discussion going. And the minute we start talking about individuals, then I think people start to see more how it's a serious question. You know, do we kill 10 rats so that 100 could live? Mm -hmm. It really changes the dynamic of the conversation, I guess, is really sort of... Exactly right. That's a great way to put it, Mike. You you change the dynamic of of the conversation and... I think you also, and very importantly, talk, I always say we need to talk with one another, not at or to one another. And this new book I have coming out in October called Rewilding Our Hearts, you know, really stresses this, stresses the the complexity of the issues, but complexity doesn't mean they're insoluble. You know, well, in all honesty, it just means they're complex. To learn more about Mark, find his blog or get his books, visit markbeckoff.com. That's it for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support, as well as our experts for sharing their time with us this week. On behalf of APLA and Defender Radio, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.